Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who like to take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. Holy crap, do I even remember what to do now? Nope. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt, I'm, uh, Matt Rogers. Oh, wait, that's not right. <laughs> oh, wait. Welcome to right. Nothing But Knitting. <laughs> nothing But Knitting. <laughs> I'm your host and compadre in knitting. Yeah, that was great. I want to go listen to that again. Uh, all right, so it's Wood Talk. It's 2018. We're back from a long vacation. It is show number 421 for January 8th, 2018. Now, on today's show, we're talking about what glues work best at low temperatures, which I think is really relevant right now because most of the country is freezing its butt off, uh, rust prevention on the hand tools, and mortars are set up. And we'd like to thank a few individuals who helped us out. Now, we still do this whole Patreon thing. And while we took a break, there was this whole debacle with Patreon. I'm sure you guys oh, yeah. heard about that. Uh, We've been gone for so long. And that felt so long ago. Well, not wow. only it happened, the, the hoopla <laughs> occurred. And then the retraction came all in the time that we were gone. So we kind of didn't have to deal with it. Uh, great. We don't have to talk about it now. Yeah, we could just Perfect. skip it. Nothing happened That's with right. Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and you'll find out how you could help support the show. And we certainly appreciate that sort of support. Um, we have a bunch of people to thank, and that's what we do at the top of the show is thank the folks who helped us out. Kenneth Walton, Bill Hare, David Teal, Joshua Perry, Nick Lovegren, Chris Jones, David Seidel, Jason Calloway, Steve Gautier. Gautier, French names are hard. Um, Herlander Passos, Lori Henning. Oh, wait, it's Lori Henning's Project Happy Life. And Bob Peterson, Cody Falgaust, and Master of None. So thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. And again, if you want to help out too, that's <laughs> patreon.com slash woodtalk. Steve Gautier, the Frenchman from Cleveland. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's funny. When uh, when I went to visit um, Missouri, I might have told this story before. Uh, Nicole took me there for the first time. And so many of the street names and even some of the, the towns where she lives are clearly French names. But the way that they pronounce them, I was like, 
and I actually took French in high school, so I know a little bit about the pronunciation. And I'm like, that's that's not how that should be said. <laughs> but, you know, in uh, yeah. the middle of Missouri, apparently that is how it is said. Yeah, there's a town actually I used to work in it when I was in an ad agency called Havre de Grasse, Harbor of Grace. It's where um, Lafayette landed before he marched on in the British at the end of the Revolutionary War. History tip. But locally... They call it Haverty Grace. Right. Havre <laughs> de Grasse. And when I first moved here, I was like, ooh, Havre de Grasse. Let's go there. And everybody looked at me like, what? where the hell's that? <laughs> exactly. Haverty Grace. Yeah, but then you, you could take it too far and you could become become one of those really annoying people who insist on pronouncing oh, yeah. all things in the <laughs> accent it's supposed to be. Right. So, you know, you order some, uh, you some tacos. Which are delicious. Um, <laughs> all right, that's that's actually what Nicole does. It's really weird. She's uh, uh, dos uh, chicken tacos, uh, no spicy. Okay, let's get to what's on the bench. <laughs> it's going to be a good show, guys. I'm telling you, oh, different spicy. definitions of good. <laughs> exactly, it's a it's a moving definition. Uh, so, what's on the bench? We've had quite a bit of time uh, away from the show, so I, I would hope we got some things done. But at the same time, you know, the holidays. A lot of times, we take some time off from the shop, so maybe we didn't get much done. But for me, finished a jewelry box, uh, the guild build, and, and I went into high gear as soon as uh, TWW mom came to town. She's watching the kids a lot and, and putting the kids down at night, so it just gives me a lot more time to get things done. So I charged through. Finished that bad boy and uh, even moved on to a very quick weekend project. I made a little drill bit storage cabinet, little wall hanging dealy. Um, and it was, man, it was so fun. And, and I know you could relate to this when we're talking about the high boy. We're talking any guild project, generally speaking. Um, just these things that take weeks, months, even. I mean, what's your elapsed time so far on the, the high boy? When did we start that? Uh, July. Okay, so beginning you, of July, like the first week of July. Now, granted, this is the exception, right? Because that that's the longest project in the guild. Uh, but we're talking months and months of work, and even the small jewelry box uh, was a significant amount of work. It was a few months. It, making this drill storage cabinet was just fantastic. <laughs> like I I watched a video about it yesterday, and I was just I was so full of envy. Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> it's it was a stupid so, drill bit cabinet. I'm like. A couple pieces of plywood, yeah, like a few dados, a couple rabbits, some some glue. It was it was a joy. It was a pure joy, and uh, so so that was a, a nice little uh, diversion for a little while. Um, and then at this point, I actually, what is it, January? Well, we're well into January. I should be writing a book at this point. So that that's what I've slated January to do, and I'm already late. So uh. we'll see how that goes. Weren't we supposed to do some sort of intervention if you ever promised to write a book again? Yeah, the intervention was kicking me in the nuts. And yeah. uh, no, one has, we'll no be, one has done that yet. So We'll be right there. I'll, I'll retroactively kick you in yeah, the nuts. Yeah, please do. <laughs> next time you see me. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I might be a lot more cranky the next time we do a show. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, so, Matt, what about you? What'd you get done? Um, I'm almost done with a high boy, which is kind of sad to say at this point because yeah. it's been so dang long um i'm currently finished prepping which is nice i've actually been working on that for like two weeks in and like on and off as i've been doing the finial videos because the finials are kind of like you don't have to look at the case a whole lot so i've been finished prepping doing taking care of all the little details that i kind of skipped over because i was more worried about getting the videos done than the actual physical project (laughs) right so a lot of little sanding a little touch-up work all the little boring details that just take a lot of time and just aren't interesting or have no relevance to anyone else except for my actual project that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So that's been on and off. 
Uh, I got the drawers to glue up and finish prep as well, and then the whole thing should be ready for finish, which I'm looking forward to. And then after that point, there's a few. Uh, there's still a lot of. There's still a few more videos to go after that because there's still some more work things to be done. But at least those things are very straightforward. Not a whole lot of like the production side of that's going to be very very fast. So mm-hmm. it's like putting the drawer bottoms in, so gluing up panels and beveling them. Like no no twelve part finishing series. No, I'm saying you're on your own. Have fun. <laughs> Slap How it on. How are you going to finish it? By the way, I, I'm going to do my armor seal. Like okay. I did the secretary desk, sit up there and rub it on, which I don't know. Some people have some like interesting thoughts on finishing where it's like, like that piece is like, it's really good to be sprayed because there's so many like intricacies and it's like uh, doing a hand apply finish is a little more on the tedious side. But honestly, if you got that project at that point, there is so many things in there that's way more tedious than just right. rubbing it down with some sandpaper and some finish that I don't know. I don't see I don't see any problem with the way I'm going to go. You've already passed the point of tedium. I mean, so you may <laughs> right. as well just do the finish you want to do and <laughs> suck I, it up. When I dovetailed all 11 of those rabbited drawers, that was tedious. Yeah. But that was also fun because I only actually recorded like, what, one, two? Yeah. And then the rest of them, I would sit there and just pound out. I was like, this is what it feels like to be a woodworker, <laughs> a regular not a content woodworker. creator. <laughs> yeah. This is nice. I can go in the shop and just like put, like I, I set it in my shop update. I had the heater on the whole time. Or like it could cycle on whenever I wanted to. You could be comfortable that. the whole time. I had so the heater was going on, the temperature was nice and consistent. I had uh, some music on as well, so it's like this is what I used to remember about woodworking. Yeah, it's like you're on vacation <laughs> when that happens. That's exactly what it was like. It's out there just dovetailing, going crazy, having a good time, and uh, oh man, it's a blast! Absolute good. blast! Sounds fun. And then we're also starting the uh, the waterfall river table build now as well. Yeah, and this is actually kind of cool because we <laughs> it was originally just conceptually just a waterfall table. And then, uh, you know, Matt and I talked about it the other day, and he's uh, got some other ideas to include. In it, and it looks like you're, you're going to be doing a couple different versions. And one of those will include, or at least one or possibly two, will include a river table sort of detail, which is mm-hmm. a pretty popular thing these days. Yep, two, two rivers. So I have I cut these slabs about a year ago. They're really cool because they're – Normally, when you cut like the crotch section of the tree, you cut the limbs above it like pretty close mm-hmm. to the crotch. This one's like someone was just cutting it for firewood, so they cut the the saw log off, so below the crotch and below all the crotch figure because you don't want that in a saw log. Heaven forbid there's crotch figure <laughs> in there, that's a defect. And then, <laughs> so they took that part off, and then they left the top part attached to the crotch. So it's like six feet long, uh, two feet of its crotch, and then four feet of it is the limbs above it. And there's some really cool, like, I'm going to call it thigh gap in there. Um, <laughs> that, that works. That works. That, uh, uh. that could become a river. So I'll have uh, the crotch figure with the river on top. So one table will have a glass inlay and the river will be the full top. And then the other one will have a uh, waterfall in the river. So you'll have a crotch figure with a partial river and then the river will fall down the leg. So it should be pretty cool. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. So many things to say. <laughs> so many, many good jokes. So to many come of that. things that I'm not. Going to say. <laughs> yeah. 
right, Shannon, uh, what do you got going I on? Just, I like how the guild is shaping up now that Matt is doing all these really complex, hard projects. Mark's doing a jewelry box. Yeah, yeah. I, well, yeah. you know what? I'm, I'm kind of the boss at this point, so I could sit back and just <laughs> delegate, right? I got Daryl Peart coming in. I got well, uh, Anne of All Trades coming in. I, I just sit here and do wood talk. That's right my on. new, that's my new no. job. Can't help it. I'm an overachiever, apparently. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. What did I do Christmas? Uh, I, I took a lot of time out of the shop, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoyed the holiday. It was kind of nice. Good. Just the way Christmas fell this year being on a Monday. Like, I had a weekend leading up to it and a couple days after. I had some time off. It was kind of nice. But, you know, typical holiday season, I <clears throat> broke out the lathe. And if you guys remember correctly, a couple episodes ago, I actually broke my lathe. Oh, that's right. So that's I was right. staring down the barrel of a whole bunch of stuff to make for Christmas, and the lathe was broken. And I was like, all right, fine. There's a reason that I kept that jet mini lathe. The reason I didn't sell it and put it in cold storage. So first thing is the cold storage worked great, like where you spray on the bow shield and don't wipe it down so it, like, dries all tacky and waxy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um I had to, you know, pull out the the mineral spirits to pull it off, but it was absolutely pristine. It's been sitting, not really, it's not covered or anything. It's just been sitting in the corner of my basement for four years, um, and not a not a spot of rust on it. So there's the good news. If anybody has it been ever that long about, since you used that thing, yeah, it has. I built really? my built my lathes, yeah, in like 2012. Wow. Jeez. 2012, 2012 or 13, I think. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been that long since I pulled out the power lathe, um, which was an interesting experience <laughs> of it itself. It's like, Whoa, I don't have to use my foot. This is weird. <laughs> like, you know, when you first start using a, a, a treadle lathe, you have to kind of divorce your lower body from your upper body. You have to work on keeping your upper body really still while your lower body's like a duck under the water, just going nuts. Um, <laughs> Going back the opposite direction, I actually found was harder. So it was like all jittery up top. I was like, "This is so weird." Like I'm just planting <laughs> my feet and like, moving the moving the gouge around. But I um I was making these little um uh, sea salt grinders, like push button grinders, mm. and one of them, <clears throat> it's still not done. It's still over in the corner because it the the wood just kept like peeling off the brass tube. Like I'd get down almost to the bushing, and then wham, it would just crack and the piece would come flying off and i'm like ah, son of a and pull the glue off and sand the tube and drill another blank and put it on there i went through six of those oh geez and things just kept for some reason this, this i'm i'm calling it the brass tubes defective or something i like wiped it down with solvents in case there was something preventing the glue from bonding i whipped out the five part epoxy or five part five minute epoxy Whoa, hello the five that's, part stuff. Epoxy. that's that's a real good stuff <laughs> right when two parts not strong enough it's like that five stage turbine yeah. when you want to blow a hole through the wall <laughs> so yeah the five part epoxy didn't work either and it, finally i'm just like this is stupid um so i still have this salt mill like sitting over the corner waiting for the little bit of wood that goes on the push button part and i, I just i guess got so frustrated that i just put the thing away so yeah there's a there's a lathe sitting over the corner with a, a bit still chucked up on it ready to turn this last thing so maybe i'll get to that <laughs> in may or june something like that nice um but I started on a tea box, uh, not as a Christmas gift. Originally, the thought was we could do it for Christmas, and then it was like, there's no way this is going to happen. Um, so now I think probably looking at it as a July birthday gift, um, hopefully be done well before then. But because I have some time, I wanted to take advantage of it and um, veneer. I wanted to veneer the entire surface. So instead of just building the box, 
um, veneer it and then kind of outline all the edges with uh, probably ebony because I've got a small bit of um, 3 8 inch thick ebony. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dug into my little scrap pile, the like figured really crazy wood that I've been hanging on to for years, and I found this piece of like it's quilt, I guess, quilted almost bird's eye redwood. Ooh. It's just ridiculous. Like <laughs> it's easily the most figured piece I've ever seen. So I've actually been sawing it up into um, eighth inch thick veneers uh, over the just kind of on and off. Get fifteen minutes run down, run down to the run down to the down to the shop. Go back to my life and come back a couple days later. So I'm I'm kind of really looking forward to this. It's something that I've wanted to do for a while, and it's uh, I don't necessarily say it's really a stretch of skills, but it's just something that. I haven't done a lot of veneering, so I'm really excited to uh, to to do that. Nice. That sounds yeah. good. Did anyone else hear that Skypiness from Oh, Shannon? yeah. Okay, so that wasn't just me. Mm. Yeah, you had this weird <laughs> robotic repeat for a second. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty I forget cool. what you were saying. It was kind of funny. Like, yeah, oh, you'll, you'll really have to listen back to this remix. one. <laughs> uh, right. Wicked, wicked, wicked Shannon. All right. Okay, so uh, let's move into a little bit of a sort of a holiday recap. This is inspired by a question and a voicemail actually that came in from Timothy, but it, it sort of um, will bring us into a larger conversation about the holidays, gifts, and uh, you know how, how things went in our house or go in our houses typically. Uh, so let's get that voicemail. Hey, greetings here from Stockton, California. My name's Tim. Uh, I have a question for all three of you, the albino gorilla, the hairy giggler, and Mark's new nickname, Sugar Tats. I hope. That- okay, I will say that is my favorite one so far. Sugar tats. <laughs> so if you guys want to, if you guys want that to stick, keep using it. Uh, uh, I, that gets a thumbs up from me. Sugar tats. And it just makes me sound like a sexy waitress, you know, in the middle of Dakota, one of the Dakotas <laughs> or something like that, right? That's what that's what I think. Of. Call me sugar tats. I feel bad for the Dakotas. They get picked keep on. Thinking that. <laughs> no, I, I'm 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 complimenting them. I work there now. All right. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Let's finish this uh, voicemail here. Dicks. Period. Uh, my question goes out to special occasions like for like birthdays or holidays where uh, like Christmas um, that the wife would usually buy us uh, larger gifts or things we don't get to buy all the time. And uh, you guys may or may not have this problem, but my wife doesn't always understand the specifications of wood tools or wood equipment or or what features work for me and what I don't want in a table saw things like that so I frequently would just put some items that I like in a text document and let her pick from the list but that's also not very personal and, and it doesn't require a lot of thought it's just kind of eeny meeny miny mo. sometimes she knows I'm gonna like it but I also don't inform myself on her makeup too much and know what to buy her there um, though I do my best uh, so I just want to know what you guys do about that and how you guys handle larger gifts or larger purchases like for holidays or special occasions where um, surprises are often encouraged. Uh, hope to hear back from you. All right. Well, the obvious answer here is to start experimenting with makeup and yeah. informing yourself on that so she can then reciprocate with the woodworking uh, stuff. That's what I think. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you owe it to her to... To really take really an interest in, in her things. Yeah, it's definitely. I think, you know, I think it's important to make a decision about these things. You know, draw a line. You either get what you want or you are just happy that somebody thought of you. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> wow. Be, well, because when it when it comes to these these sort of surprises and the expectation of a thoughtful gift, that I mean, it's it's a lot of uh, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure for someone to come up with a gift that that's something you really wanted, uh, but but is a surprise. You know, and, and that's that's just not the way things really work. So I think you either say you either have this understanding that these are the things I want. She now knows this list is there, and she could pick from it. Uh, it's the, it's going to make you smile. You're going to be excited. You're going to be happy. I don't see anything wrong with that. But if the family agrees that it's better to have surprises and and for people to go out and get you know unique, thoughtful, and interesting gifts, then you're just going to have to deal with what you get <laughs> because that's the way things are going to be. Like, do you, do you see any clever way around this? No, in fact, I mean, because we pretty much buy everything online now and online translates to Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it does not matter. And because like browsers are now like user driven. So it doesn't matter what device I'm on. Um, if I'm signed into my Google account, it's showing me ads of the things that my wife just looked at on Amazon. Right. Yeah. Moreover, I'm and, getting and, emails from Amazon saying such and such <laughs> just shipped. And, you know, you, I quickly get into the habit of just immediately deleting any email from Amazon because I figure if it's important, I can look it up in the my account interface. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have just gotten into the habit of just don't read any emails from Amazon. But we've also <laughs> had to get into the habit of specifically having different addresses, not street addresses but names you know if if heather's ordering it for me it needs to come to heather because the default is my name on the amazon account so it comes to me i'm opening the box (laughs) of course surprise then come and (laughs) i didn't order this (laughs) right we always wrap everything on christmas eve so like christmas at the night of christmas eve so usually in the afternoon there's a there's the amazon box shuffle wait was this one yours was this one mine (laughs) so uh, a lot of the, you know, we do our best to keep the surprises out, but frankly, Christmas is, it's so, these days, it's its not really, this is going to sound really cheesy, like I'm trying to be super noble or something, but it's not really about the gifts anymore. I mean, we certainly give each other gifts, but we're trying really hard not to give each other things, but like, you know, tickets to something or stuff that, experience you know, food. Right, right. Because we just don't need any more stuff got too much stuff in the corners of the house mm-hmm. so it's become much less of a, of a money spent on things as compared to just having some time to just relax so you know and i i feel like it's kind of that way with all of our occasions now all of my interests all of my hobbies i've kind of gotten to the point where i have what i need <laughs> so uh, i don't really need you to spend 300 400 $3,000. He was talking about a table saw, right? So uh, I, I don't know. It's just not really an issue anymore for us. Yeah. In, in our house, it's all about the kids now. And it's ex- the exact opposite of what you're describing. It's all about stuff and things yeah. and cardboard right. and wrapping paper everywhere, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a kid thing. So that actually the kids have taken the pressure off of us because we don't really worry like you guys. It's like we're in a situation now where if we need something, we can get it. Um, generally speaking for the holidays, there's not a whole lot that we can do for each other that we're, we wouldn't be sort of aware of, but it's really about the, the kids and other family members. So between us, we get a couple of things, but we're not you know, going nuts with it. Um, the other aspect of this is the fact with us three personally in the woodworking world, we've been there for a while. We generally have the things you know we, we want or need or have somehow acquired everything we need. Do you guys ever get woodworking gifts anymore for the holidays? Not in probably three or four years. 
last was it last year maybe? I don't remember. I got a fishtail chisel from my in-laws. Nice. And like a marking gauge, I think that year or the year before that, but you know, that's like smaller, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things I didn't really need it, but it was like they're nice ones. Yeah. So like it's boutique kind of thing. Yeah. That's really that was the extent of the woodworking stuff in my recent history. At least with with us, it's we do Oh, we do one present a year. We do Anabermis. So it's like those three holidays or three events all together. You get one big thing. So we kind of feel better about just, you don't have to worry about one present. It can be a lot of money. It's fine because you're taking those three different things and putting them all together. Um, But I haven't really gotten or done anything super big woodworking related in a long time because I don't really need anything. Mm. And at least the last few years as my business has been getting going, it's not something I can be like, oh, yeah, I just spent a bunch of money on something I don't really need. So this year we did something pretty big. I bought Lindsay a car, which is pretty exciting. Show off. But yeah. that was that was the end of Burma's present because I didn't, we didn't, I didn't really get her anything super exciting for the last few years. And, and likewise, she didn't get me anything super exciting because it wasn't, we weren't focused on it. But we always get something small for Christmas at least, so at least they have something open that has some kind of thought put into it. You know, the funny thing is every Christmas season when the car commercials start and you see the, the, you know, the woman wakes up in the morning and she looks out the window and there's a big giant red bow on the car. I turn to Nicole and I go, what moron buys a car without his wife's knowledge? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like who does this crap? And then I see in my, uh, my Facebook feed, <laughs> Matt Cremona presenting the car to his wife. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, okay. That, that kind she of. Was- she was there. Okay. I was gonna. I was gonna do that, but <laughs> you didn't do the red bow thing. That I didn't have a chance. We didn't have a chance to go test drive it or see if she actually liked this thing yeah. before Christmas. Okay. Well, I had the bow. So I put the, bow <laughs> the giant on, bow on he, the second of January when she went to work. Yeah, there was a big bow in her car when she went to that. But like, that was kind of my idea. I thought it was kind of fun. <laughs> I never bought a new car before. That was the first. New, that was like the. There are about like what three cars in my life. Yeah, that was biggest one that was that was a fun experience i don't know we're like let's just do it let's buy a new car it's cool but it's a it's a beautiful vehicle i like it yeah it's Hope nice she does too. it's her like all right it. um i think we can probably move on from this let's get into what's new so um i didn't put anything in here shannon you want to take the lead i think i think i dumped all this in here yeah go um, for it first of all the the woodworking shows uh the woodworking show that's what it's called um, it's starting up. They always start here in Baltimore. So actually today, as we're recording, this was the first day of the show. Uh, I'm actually going to go over there tomorrow on Saturday, uh, meeting up some hand tool school students and mm. anybody else who wants to say hi. Um, I don't know. It's been a couple of years since I've been, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. A uh, couple of new products on the market that I'm interested in, in checking out. Have you guys seen the ultra shear tool, blade turning tool? Nope. I think it's nope. Uh, made by woodpecker. It's it's one of those carbide insert turning tools, but it's got um, like an angled shank to it so that it actually rests on the, the tool rest at an angle. So you get this shear cut. It's hmm. kind of an interesting thing. I'm interested to, to check that out. A couple other fun things. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, in relation to that, uh, I got a, a Twitter tweet, a, t- a tweet on the Twitters from Chuck Bender. And hadn't heard from him in a while, mm-hmm. and he is going to be at the show, so I was excited to be able to catch up with him. But that happened to coincide with the post that he just put up on his blog this morning. Anybody who's wondering what happened to Chuck Bender, because the whole 360 woodworking thing 
Not sure where that is right now, but Chuck has actually moved back to Pennsylvania, and the good news is he's going to be opening up a school again. So the Acanthus Workshop, um, I took several classes there. It was always a great time and just incredible amounts of knowledge in that man's head. But now he's opened it up in the romantic Poconos. So we're going to have heart-shaped beds and champagne glass jacuzzi tubs. Sexy woodworking. That sounds good. (laughs) Oh, man. Actually, that might be a good idea because you can convince people to bring their wives or or spouse or whatever. You can trick them into going. That'd be great. We're going on a romantic vacation. Yeah. But I'll be in this workshop over here. <laughs> if you need wow. me. You know, now, that, now that you say that out loud, that could go really bad. Text me. Going on a romantic me. vacation. Then you get there and say, I'm going to this class. I don't think that's going to go well. Yeah. Probably not going to be received well. Maybe. Um, you know what? Chuck needs to have a day spa as part of the school. There really we go. Should. Yeah. I mean, this yeah, really. I'll, I'll, br- I'll bring that up when I see him tomorrow. It sounds like a, a 180 degree turn from 360 woodworking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible i'm sorry um and then i guess the the last little bit of things that happened uh while we were gone is megan fitzpatrick is no longer the editor of popular woodworking Um, i i honestly i i chose to not even dig into that i don't know what happened i don't know if she just resigned if they asked her to leave i don't really care i'm excited for her because you know it seems like everybody who's left popular woodworking has gone on to good things. Mm-hmm. So maybe, uh, I don't know. Um, I'll be curious to see how the magazine um, does without her. I just got an issue in the mail the other day. I don't know if that's her last one. Probably not. Probably one more. But um, good luck, Megan. I'm excited to see what you do. She's great. And it's interesting to watch. I mean, Pop Woodworking has been one of those uh, publications that the, the people there have been accessible and part of the community. And it's, you know, we, we almost take these things personally when they happen. And, and, and you really feel bad when something like that changes. Um, but like you said, good things tend to happen when people leave. So, you know, what's going to yeah. what's the fate of the magazine? I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, um, do we get everything here? Yes, we, we did. did. Oh, and the other thing is, uh, I guessed it on Modern Woodworkers Association podcast the other day, so I'm not sure when they release their episodes, but that should be out soon. It was nice talking to uh, to those guys. Had a good time. So check that out if you get a chance. And let's get to some kicky-backy. I think we have two voicemails, actually. So Samuel has a bit of a, a kickback on planing versus sanding. Hi, guys. Sam here from Market, Michigan. I have a follow-up to the planing versus sanding short Mark posted a little while ago. The other day, while I was redistributing the dust in my shop, I thought I would try something. I had a small project made from black walnut that was ready for finish. I had sanded to 320, and I used a Festool ETS EC150 sander connected to a Festool dust collector, so a dust collection was about as good as it gets. The sapwood on the black walnut likes to suck up the darker dust from heartwood and produce an unappealing blotchiness when it settles in the open pores. After a treatment of compressed air on the sapwood, I continued on to the heartwood and it made a noticeable difference. It was like buying a new high-def TV and suddenly seeing a boost in clarity and grain definition, just like a board planed with a smoother. Results may vary, but this is my new go-to technique for large surface prep. Yeah, good idea. Um, I did this uh, quick video, I don't know when it was, it was a couple months ago, uh, and just kind of evaluating the differences between a plain surface, sanded surface, and uh scraped surface, so that's, that's what he's referring to there. 
uh, in my samples, I did blow out the dust because I mean, it, that the, if you don't do that, you know, if you've ever uh, finished, especially something like Walnut, that's, you know, got those poor pockets in the top. Um, if you don't blow the dust out of there, it really does dull the surface and you don't get that sort of, uh, definition and look to it. So, um, even if you're sanding or what, especially if you're sanding, I should say, um, you go to those high grits, that l- tiny dust just sits in the surface and it just muds the situation up and you put finish on top of there and it just kind of doesn't look quite as vivid and good as it would look otherwise. And of course, planing, you don't have to worry about that because you're just cutting it off and there is no dust to worry about. So it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. Okay. Your blade's sharp. All kinds of dust. The blade's not sharp. True. True. Um, okay, so this I feel is... like that has to be said because I've had that question come before. I thought you said there was no dust, and they sent me a picture, and I was like, you need to sharpen your yeah. blade, my man. You're making dust. You're doing it wrong. Uh, so our good buddy Wilbur has something to say here. Hi, guys. This is Wilbur. I wanted to leave some kickback about Shannon's angst regarding using his jet mini lathe for pen turning. Shannon, you won't be losing any hand tool cred by doing that. Turning is a hand tool operation since you're holding the tool in your hands. Uh-huh. Remember, the motor is attached to the spinning clamp. Great show as always, and I hope you all get your holiday projects done in time. Take care. That's a good point. Uh, so my circular saw is also a hand tool. Yeah. And my jigsaw. That's why I have a track saw. I have that track saw because it's okay. Yep. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. It is uh, Neanderthal approved. Okay, so let's get into our uh, thingamajiggy. What do you call that? This. Ooh, <laughs> now for something completely different. <laughs> lumber industry update. Ooh, ooh, I've missed it. I've missed it. You should really set that as a ringtone or something, Shannon. I think that'd be great for you. I should. It'd be good. It would It would go really well at the office. Right. Everybody's like, whatever, dude. Shut up. <laughs> Got lumber in the title, whatever. Yeah, it's relevant. Well, no, mainly mainly because I work for a company that's like older than the country, and there are people in that company that have been there for 45 years, and I'm the, the kid that's been there for eight years, and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know nothing. They're all using Punk? their flip phones to, to make fun of you. Brick phones. Yeah, exactly. Flip phones. What are you talking about? The, the rigid antennas oh, sticking out of the top. I yeah. laugh because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> we have a typewriter and it gets used daily. Wow. Yeah. So uh, lots lots going on in the lumber world, folks. Cuban mahogany, the, the holy grail of mahogany, Sweetina mahogany, it's back. Uh, guess what? It's been growing in Cuba all this time. And what? as people have been mad at Cuba and there's been embargoes and sanctions going on against Cuba, they've just been growing their Cuban mahogany over there. So, yay, it's back in the market. No, sorry, not so much. Uh, there was <laughs> huge press like releases. There was all kinds of people talking about how exciting it was. A couple people in, in the forestry industry had gone down and seen these stands of mahogany trees and they were really excited about it. And everyone forgot the fact that Cuban mahogany is a CITES Appendix 1 species, and it is absolutely illegal to trade it, look at it, smell it, sniff it, take photographs of it, anything. Flip it, um, rub it down. The only way you can possibly no, spot <laughs> it. it. <laughs> Turn your back on it. Don't even look at it. Um, so. <laughs> Boo! Yeah, so it was, it was really funny because at, at, at the lumberyard, we were reading these press releases, and I turned to my buyer and I said, 
isn't it still like illegal? And she's like, yeah, I don't know why everybody's so excited that there's no way the tiny island of Cuba is possibly going to have enough mahogany on it to repeal any of these endangered species lists. So it was just kind of funny. I, and I started Googling the other day looking for some of these press releases on the Cuban mahogany and they're all gone. They've oh. just magically been deleted off the Figured internet. It out. <laughs> oh, no yeah. kidding. Somebody, so yeah, anytime you hear somebody say that one of these species that's long been gone for years is suddenly back, don't hold your breath. It uh, takes a lot. You have to move many mountains to do that. Hmm. But speaking of moving mountains, the biggest issue that we have had with mahogany alternatives, they're usually African species, things like African mahogany, um, Sipili, Udali, uh, Andaroba to some respect. Um, all of these species, um, there's lots of them. They're really big. You can get great, uh, high-quality grades on them. The biggest issue with it has always been infrastructure. It is nearly impossible to get lumber out of Africa because there is like one port that it leaves from, and there is a single crane that loads the ships. And if that crane breaks down, which it did last year, nothing leaves Africa. Nothing <laughs> at all leaves Africa. So we had something like 38 containers of African hardwoods just sitting at a port, which, by the way, they charge us rent. It's called demurrage for the stuff sitting in the port. doesn't matter that it's their port that's not moving it. They're just going to charge us anyway. So that's been really fun. <laughs> How convenient. My, uh, my, my buyer <clears throat> just went over to Africa right before Christmas and you know went out into the forest and got to visit a bunch of different uh, concessions. And the health of the, the lumber and the wood coming out of Africa right now is just fantastic. Some of the concession plans they have in place are really top-notch. There's a lot of kind of high-tech stuff going into them. Um, as far as like GPS tracking and being able to say this board came and you can like Google it and find out where it was in the forest when it was a tree. Some <laughs> really interesting chain of custody type stuff that's being applied. And traditionally, it's always been difficult because Africa, Africa's big. I don't know if you know that. It's a big place. I've heard this. Um, and I'm, infrastructure yeah. is just terrible. There are no logging roads. There's no easy ways to get there. So, for instance, um, when our buyer flew in, I can't remember, she flew into Cameroon. It took 29 hours by via um, car to get to the forest, to get to where they're actually cutting the trees. 29 <laughs> hours to do that. So you can imagine bringing the logs out of there is kind of a difficult situation. And there's a lot of stuff that can happen along the way that made it really difficult to maintain chain of custody. And where did that come from? Is it legal? What concession did it come from? All that fun stuff. When the biggest issue that we've had with African species is... You know, the lumberyard calls it African mahogany, but is it really? Or what species of African mahogany? Or I've seen people calling stuff, calling Andaroba sapili or vice versa, because there's just so little information coming out of the dark continent. Well, that is probably going to change. Now, the reality is it may take several years for this all to filter down, but I'm hoping we're really optimistic that we're actually going to have a better line of sight into actually what we're buying. So, to us, to the average Joe woodworker, when you see a rack that says African mahogany, you can have a lot more assurance that it actually is African mahogany because there's going to be greater line of sight and electronic tracking to be able to say that, yes, that was a kaya tree that was felled. That was a sapili tree, utili, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's exciting and it's, it's unexpected because Africa has long been the backwater of, of the forestry industry. And, you know, we, we have to be extra, extra careful what we buy there, but we also have to, like, take seven extra checks and balances because we can't trust the data that we're getting. So I'm hoping that's going to change. Yay, Africa. Interesting. Actually, it's really interesting. counterintuitive like, that it would be able to happen, with, though, without 
the infrastructure and all those things you yeah. need to make that stuff. Well, happen. the issue is the African lumber trade has never been African run. <laughs> it's always been the Dutch East <clears throat> India Company back into you know, colonial times. Yeah. Um, and in fact, there's some arguments that say that a lot of that um, period furniture that we drool over in museums is not actually genuine mahogany because the mahogany in quotes that's been coming out of Africa has been hitting Europe a lot longer. Well, basically since before we knew North America existed, before the new world was a thing, they were bringing reddish colored woods out of Africa and building furniture out of them. Um, when they discovered the genuine mahogany in South America and said, wow, this stuff is pretty. It works really, really well. Then it became kind of the big deal. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, it's the same everywhere, right? It's from the new world. So all the rich people wanted it. You know, it's, it's exotic and fancy, just like, you know, whatever the, the latest trend coming out of fashion or whatever, because it's new. But so many of those old pieces are actually made with African hardwoods, Udali and Sipili specifically, um, and some Andorovas and some African mahogany. So the Dutch East India Company and European companies have been running the trade for many, 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 many years, and they still are. In mm -hmm. fact, when we go over there, we're generally talking to um, people with European accents. Um, right. A lot of Italians, um, a lot of French, a lot of um, uh, Dutch as well. But there now has been um, greater uh, um, attempts, I should say, into the local ministries to say, look, let's work together. Let's build out some local infrastructure because this is going to, to help you guys. It's going to give you jobs. It's going to increase you know, your export and all that stuff. What Africa will always – why it will always be a difficulty is just because there's still you know, warlords, <laughs> still lots of people with guns and, yeah. and lots of scary, scary stuff going on across borders. But um, hopefully – you know, some partnering. And we've seen this in Myanmar, Burma, if you will, where the Western world has long been running the industry, but the Western world realizes they need local government support in order to build out the, the infrastructure to just make it possible. It's more than just cutting down trees and, and managing a, a healthy forest. You've got to get those trees to a port and load it onto a ship, or in many cases, actually sawn in country because legislation says that it has to be sawn in the country and you can't you can't export logs. Most countries don't allow export of logs anymore. So now you're having to trust some guy who's never run a sawmill to oh. saw your super precious, highly expensive log into boards. You know, and what kind of boards? What thickness? What width? What grade? Does he know anything about grade? Does he know how to saw for grade? Does he know how to saw for yield? All kinds of stuff that just scare the heck out of the people who actually have the money mm -hmm. and are spending yeah. the money on stuff. So it's important to have the local infrastructure, not only for the actual machinery, but kind of the apprenticeship system, the transfer of knowledge. So the guy actually operating that band mill knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to start to see some of this stuff turn a corner. And not only will we have greater light of sight into the legality and sustainability, but maybe we're going to see some better quality products yeah. as well. Well, look, how do you get on a buyer trip? That sounds like a fantastic <laughs> it does sound like a good going. adventure. I, I mean, I've been trying like for eight be, years, Matt. I wouldn't go buy anything. I just want to go and just like hike through the just, jungle. And just tag along. Trees. Right. Well, really I, offer, I offer to carry their luggage, you know, every single time, <laughs> be their personal Sherpa. And, and no, although I will say some of the texts, the images that um, that Caroline, our, our import buyer, sends me are a little terrifying. Like the sizes of the cockroaches in her shower in the morning. <laughs> it's like, hello, or, or my general manager who had a guy with a machete pounding on his door at three o'clock in the morning 
telling the telling him i quote gringo get out of there i'm gonna slit your throat you know yeah stuff like that the uh, the the ransom insurance that we carry is a bit of a red flag in and of itself (laughs) so yeah one of uh one of the big decking suppliers um decided to finally open a mill in in south america and uh their first three general managers this is not funny please don't misinterpret this their first three general managers were killed murdered um, because they were they were Western gringos viewed as as rich, so they were targets for robberies. It was awful. So I mean, this is this is what you're dealing with. The number one um, aftermarket industry in Brazil is bulletproof bulletproofing, bulletproofing of your car. That's Jeez. like the number one industry. So that's a red flag right there. You sure so, you yeah, want to go, Matt? They want to go on a buying trip, but you might want to think twice about that one. Maybe, day trip. You know what? Maybe just come to Denver and I'll take you to the lumber store. Uh, not, not that again. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we'll just go over to, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I forget the name. That that hard hardwood place. Can't remember what it's called. Anyway. Okay. I think we can go to our emails now. Um, I've got one here from Dan. He says, a question about shops and temperatures. I have a small two-car garage shop with a concrete slab. It seems to act as a thermoregulator as the shop never drops below 42, even though the outside temp can hit in the single digits. Am I okay to glue or should I get a space heater around the glue up? It's a tabletop, so too large to handle inside, i.e. the boss said no. Sad face. All right, so I think this is a good opportunity to review some of the common glues that we come across and use and what temperatures, minimum temperatures, those are uh, recommended to be used. And, um, you know, what the, the real problem here for talking about like type on glues, if you've ever done a low temperature glue up that that's it, that sort of borderline temperature, what you're going to get is a very chalky consistency. So instead of the real hard nubs that you get, you know, when, when you have that squeeze out that dries and it's just this little glop of glue, but it gets very, very hard once it's fully cured. Instead of that, what you get is this sort of white powdery schmear, right? It just, it, it, something doesn't look right and you'll notice it immediately. So that's what you're trying to avoid because once that happens, that glue bond is crap. It's just not going to be very good. So here's some of the minimums for the common glues. Let's look at type on uh, original two and three. This is the standard like PVA wood glue that we're all um, familiar with. Type on original minimum temperature, 50 degrees. We're talking Fahrenheit here. Uh, type on two, 55 degrees. The lowest is type on three at 47 degrees. So depending on uh, where Dan is at there, he may be able to get away with it. But all of these glues um, will work better at higher temperatures. So just keep that in mind. Minimums really, I mean, you you don't want to be at the minimum if you can avoid it. Uh, so polyurethane shocks me that they're that low. I always thought right? it was in the 60s. Yeah. Maybe I'm thinking finishes, but anything under yeah, 60, unless my I get shop nervous. is in the 60s, I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah, I get nervous if it's under 60, but but this is the, the what they uh, publish as their numbers. Polyurethane glue, Gorilla Glue, we all love to hate it, but if you <laughs> if you're really in a pinch, <laughs> their minimum temperature is 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So that oh, really? may, yeah, that may be an option. Uh, CA glue, not something you would really use for a tabletop, but it's interesting to know <laughs> you or you could, I guess that would be fun. Uh, 40 to 45 degrees for, for most CA glues. And then of course you could look at epoxy. Epoxy is kind of across the board. It just, it just depends which epoxy you're getting. Some are low temp cures that you can get away with. Some really want to be warmer, but all of these glues are going to be better at 60 plus, right? So my recommendation is, you know, get a little heater there, 
it's going to open up the playbook and you can use whatever glue you want if you can get that temperature up uh, even just a few degrees. It's really going to help. And at, at the stage of a glue yeah. up, that's not the time when you want to screw around. <laughs> so get yourself a yeah. little space heater and uh, and warm that tabletop up. Yeah, just light your scrap pile on fire. There you go. And work fast. That's fine. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, the other thing is keep in mind, if you do go with these lower temperatures, cure times are always longer. All right, so you have to give yeah. it even more time to stay in the clamps, keep it clamped up, and uh, and check it the next day and, and hope that everything worked out. So there you go. Okay. Just put a heater on. Put a heater Good. on. Put a heater on. All right, we got a question from Brian over on Patreon. It says, Happy New Year. I'm frustrated. It's a terrible way to start your new year, frustrated. Yeah, it is. I... <laughs> I am trying to do a through tenon using the Powermatic tenoning jig. I love that tool. That's not the source of my frustration. And an older Delta benchtop mortising jig. My hollow chisels are sharp. Two problems. It's driving me nuts trying to center the mortise. So when I join the two pieces, they are completely smooth on both sides. How do I get the hollow chisel mortise square and centered? I think uh, I think my answer for from wow. I haven't known this for a long time. I think my answer from from you guys is going to be that I need to throw away the Morrissey machine. Please deliver <laughs> me from my frustrations. <laughs> Are we like advocates of like just throwing away everything and buying brand new? Is Evidently, that something we do say, a lot? Look, I know I am. I don't know about you two. <laughs> I'm certainly don't bump me in with Mark. I've got a reputation for being wasteful and uh, and uh, buying Mark's solutions got one to my of those, problems. Like, Kleenex box style things that he just pulls tools out of. You know, look, pulls a mortise out, mortiser out, <laughs> uses it, throws it out, yeah. pulls another one. Out All this box. stuff is disposable to me. And look, don't 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 even think for a second that I didn't spend two days researching wall hanging cabinets that I might be able to buy before I decided I was going to have to build one. <laughs> Right, and I did take two trips to to Home Depot and Lowe's to figure out if there was anything I could use, and there wasn't. So it was like a last resort to build my own. So anyway, don't 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 lump to build a cabin for drill bits. Yeah, yeah, don't uh, don't lump these two guys in with me. I'm not gonna, you know, I'll bring them down. So go ahead. Yeah, there we go. That's the that's the sore cheeks I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, folks, you're not on video right now. He's referring to his face. Yes, those ones. Oh, I don't geez. want to hear about those other cheeks. Bring it back to the thigh gaff. Anyway, uh, so we got two questions here, really. It's like, how do you get the, the mortise chisel centered on your workpiece, and how do you get it aligned so it's not like skewed or twisted relative to that workpiece so that your edge of your mortise is nice and parallel to the face of the board you're trying to set up? So pretty common mortise or setup stuff. So the first one with the centering the the mortise bit on your workpiece if you're trying to do like a frame panel door where you have to put that mortise right in the middle because you have like a quarter inch mortise and the two walls are a quarter inch or something like that. Uh, I used to struggle with this a little bit. Like you can do a couple different things. So first of all, you can draw your center line on the workpiece. And if you drop the bit down and touch the workpiece, you can put an indent on the workpiece and see if that indent from the center of the bit matches the center of that line. And that can get you pretty close. I used to do that. I kind of just figured... I don't want to do that anymore. Now I just flip the workpiece around. So you're kind of taking uh, passes in from both sides. So you're guaranteed that that mortise is centered in that workpiece. That works out pretty well. It's a lot easier to set up that way too. Hello, people on the internet that you're taking pictures of me now <laughs> as I'm talking about this. Instagram, baby. Uh, and to get, the, to get the chisel actually parallel to the face or to get the mortise parallel to the face of the board, you want that chisel to be parallel to the fence of the machine. I found the easiest way to do this is to take like a ruler or a straight edge 
pull it up against the back side of that chisel and just bring the fence up until it's parallel. So you can really easily, the ruler, the straight edge, exaggerates the angle of that chisel so you can really clearly see if that thing is parallel to the fence or not. And you can either adjust the fence till it's parallel. You can measure if you want to. I just bring the fence up till it touches the chisel, or I, yeah, no, wait, till it touches the straight edge and then lock the bit in place. So by bringing the fence forward, it kind of forces the bit to be in the right alignment, to be parallel to the fence, and you're good to go. Make your mortises. Set your fence location, you're good to go. Make mortises. Cut, 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 blah, blah, blah. Hmm. So I got a question. I you don't. If you, were doing, if you were doing a through mortise, is this the tool you would want to use in the first place? I probably would use a router. That's what I'm thinking. Because even the, the most finely tuned mortiser just has a tendency to scratch the walls, maybe a little bit of tear out. Now, if it's a, if it's a standard mortise and tenon joint and it's hidden, who cares? But if it's through, you really need it to be crisp and perfect on the exit side. And that's really hard to do with a mortising machine. So you have I to would set it up like it has to be set up like super. It's got to be perfect. Perfect. Absolutely yeah. mm-hmm. perfect. And you're talking about the exit. So you got to be, you know, you got to have support on the bottom and a scrap piece to go through. And if there's any gap there, you'll get a little bit of tear out. So it's like, ah, just try a router instead. I think you'd be much happier with that. <laughs> God, just try, just try a router and get over yourself. Just use a so router, So actually, man. what you are saying is he should throw away the mortising machine. Look yes. at that. But not to replace it with a better one. Just use your router instead. <laughs> a router jig is great because if you make a little plywood jig, maybe a guide bushing and a straight bit, you can mount that if it's a really you know a thick work piece. You can actually mount that on both sides and you'll get a perfect – well, it'll be pretty close. It may not be absolutely perfect, but you can clean it up with a chisel. Uh, but if you if you have a really nicely designed plywood jig, you could just mount that on both sides and you'll have a nice clean entry and exit uh, point for that mortise. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, hey. Shannon, you're up. I'm going to cool. drink some coffee. Yeah. Who deleted my question? Oh, shoot. It's gone, huh? There was a question in here. Well, it was from Kim in uh, Denmark, I believe. He just bought some Lioge rasps, and he wants to... Is that how you pronounce um, that? I don't know. Lioge. I've been calling it like like someone from Missouri. I've been calling it like Logier or something like that. Logier. <laughs> Well, they are from France. It's my so wife's influence. What can I say? Liogier. Yeah. Okay. Or 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 Lugier or whatever it is Lugier. you're saying there. Lugier. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> my phlegm today is a little Lugier than it was yesterday. Get it? Uh, you should use a Lugier rasp on your tongue to get the germs off. <laughs> the uh, if you guys remember, uh, Chris Schwartz put out this like uh, storage thing that he hung in front of his window, and he put his chisels and his rasps and stuff like that. It was actually on the cover of his first workbench book, the blue one. Um, well, Kim wants to build that to store his rasps and things like that in front of the window, but he's really concerned about rust because it's right in front of the window. It's cold outside you know condensation from the window all that fun stuff could cost possibly be causing rust well um first and foremost uh, i don't know which rasp that you bought but if you buy the sapphire series the blue ones i don't think those are even possible to rust i don't know what um noel has done there they're like super super durable they stay sharp a long long time and they're practically stainless um which is pretty cool but if you didn't buy that I don't mean to like <laughs> rub it in. <laughs> you just made the wrong choice. <laughs> the other ones are fine too. Um, but I have, um, I've stored not on my own shop in the museum shop, the stepping stone 
where there's absolutely no uh, climate control whatsoever, and they're hung on the walls. We've got some hung on walls in front of windows. Um, and is you, you do have to keep up with it. I mean, it's not one of those things where you can just like set it on the wall and leave it there for three years and hope that they're not going to get any rust on it. But a, a decent treatment with um, any rust preventative, I've said this before, we used Ballistol at that shop. Ballistol is actually, um, it's a, was a German-made product for the German um, army in World War One, I, I think. It was meant to keep their guns from rusting, but also like be a conditioner for the leather, like um, their boots and everything like that. So it's meant to be a waterproofer on like your hiking boots. Um, you'll find it in in sports shops, basically anywhere they sell guns. It's got ballistic in the name, so there you go. <laughs> um, but you can buy it in a spray bottle. You spray it on and you can either just let it dry and that gives you a thicker coat or just we would spray it onto a rag and then wipe down all our tools with it when we were done. And there would be times when, because the museum shop, we had so many tools on display, there would be times where I wouldn't touch that tool again, like for a year. You know, it would sit there through the entire summer, the entire winter, completely, you know, um, unclimate controlled and we never had any rust buildup. Now, maybe that sounds like an endorsement for Blistol, and maybe it is, but I've had similar experiences with other things that product I bought at Rockler is just called Rust Free. Um, I've used Bowshield T9. I've used Renaissance wax. I wouldn't put wax on your rasp. That's maybe not a good idea. Man, I tear would, up the rag that would trying eat to rub up, that in. That would eat up some <laughs> wax, man. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, but the, the thing that I like about like a product like Blistol or Rust Free is they come in a little spray bottle, and you can just kind of give the rasp a spritz. You know, don't wipe it in or any of that stuff and then just hang it on the wall and you'd be shocked at what a great job that does because it's it's providing a barrier, uh, a vapor barrier, essentially. And no matter what your conditions are, even if it's super cold outside and your window's condensating, first of all, you might want to think about new windows. Uh, second of all, <laughs> it should be okay. It's just one of those things where no tool is going to be impervious to rust if left alone for super, super long period of time. So if you have a rust problem in your tools, look in the mirror, man. Use your tools more. It's probably the man in the mirror. Yeah. As Michael Jackson would have said. That was my judgy response. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, I think that's going to be a show for us today. Uh, if you want to help support the show, there's a couple different ways you can do it. Of course, patreon.com slash wood talk. You can go to TWW store and buy a nice wood talk t-shirt for yourself. You can also go to iTunes and leave us a review. Just go to the store, search for wood talk and click on ratings and reviews and give us a nice five star rating. Just like this guy did. He keeps it short and simple. I like it. His name is uh, photos by Neil. He says, you can tell these guys have a passion for woodworking. <laughs> that's it but it's five stars I mean, he's not wrong no no we do and uh th thank you for that neil we appreciate it and uh leaving a review there you know we say it helps us we say it improves our visibility in the itunes store but who cares about the itunes store anymore right <laughs> i mean right. what am i why do i even do this why do i even recommend this i don't know how do, how do people find podcasts anymore is it just word of mouth very few people are going to the iTunes store and being like, oh, look at this new podcast. So I don't know. Just kind of thinking out loud here. Uh, Shannon, why don't you do the, 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 the thing that you do at the end of the show? I can. I'm, I'm reading an Instagram post from Wood Talk. It says that there's a new episode on Monday. Woo! I'm excited for that. Yeah. It's going to be great. It should be a good one. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we do uh, we do a show. So um, if you have comments or questions or topic suggestions for future shows, there's a couple of ways that you can contact us. You can send us a voicemail. Pull out your little smartphone or your flip phone or your 
your like car charger powered box phone that looks like a World War II <laughs> field, you know, military field phone, and uh, open the voice memo app and record your fancy little message and send it to woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or, you know, you can type it out. You can go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact, and there's a form there. You can write out your stuff and send it to us. Uh, we are on Instagram at woodtalkshow. We're on Twitter at woodtalkshow, which is basically just the same thing because we post on Instagram and it just we cross posts to Twitter. So don't think it's unique content or anything. So, yeah. Shh, don't let them know. And, 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 and yeah, that's it. Thanks cool. to our Patreon patrons, and thanks for watching. Yeah. Aren't they actually listening? Not watching, but okay. A little bit of a struggle there. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for uh, for dealing with us again. It's a it's a new year, and we should have tons of shows this year. I think it's going to be a really good one. Should, should have. And we're not gonna we're not gonna quit. So hashtag no promises. <laughs> I anticipate fifty two. Hashtag not a high boy. Hashtag not quitting. <laughs> okay. Have a good one, everyone. We will catch you next time. See you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.